the spring semester got off to a rough start at Norwich University. Despite a careful move-in process in January with plenty of COVID testing, a few early positive cases quickly spread through the campus of this private military college in Vermont. It just went very, very quickly through the campus, and then we were sitting on, given our prevalence rate, what you could call an outbreak. That's the university's president, Mark Anarumo. He's a retired Air Force officer who has a doctorate in criminal justice. He took the helmet Norwich just last summer, so he's starting his time there during the pandemic. You know, I said, that's it. We, we have a very small window of time to put a lid on this thing and save the semester. So we've got to go to an in-room quarantine until our numbers come down to a more manageable level. An in-room quarantine, meaning students could only leave their rooms to go down the hall to the bathroom. While that might keep the virus in check, this college president worried about the impact of social isolation that he was putting these students through with no sign of how long this lockdown would last. So he made a surprising decision. He moved into a dorm to see what it was really like and to get an on-the-ground sense of student mental health. He even made some videos of the experience that he posted on Facebook. A lot of you are curious about how I'm, how I'm living. So I got my single bunk here, using the top, of course, for associate uniform items. It turns out his embedding with his students led to some changes about how the university plans to handle future outbreaks. And some important observations about the student health impacts of this pandemic. Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, where each week we look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young, an editor and reporter here at EdSurge. I recently connected with President Anarumo to hear the story of his stint living on campus. I read about it in the New York Times, and maybe a lot of people saw that um, feature that ran a couple weeks ago. Norwich is the oldest private military college in the country. It's a place where about 60% of the students are in ROTC. And it's also a place with a lot of traditions that rely on in-person experiences. I started by asking this university president why he was so attuned to the issue of social isolation during campus lockdowns. I wanted to know what experiences he had had that made student mental health such a concern? So my experiences both are uh, professional and personal. I'm a parent of four, and two, my middle two, are in college. One's in New Jersey, one's in Colorado, one at a, a large public school, and one at a, at a service academy. So I got to watch their mental health issues, and their, their social groups that I became friendly with, and I watched the degradation of mental health. And of course, at the Air Force Academy, in the spring of 2020, there was a suicide. And there was another death tied to a culmination of other complicated and very tragic um, circumstances for one of the other students. So I watched that, and, you know, I'm watching the social isolation, its effect on my own children. I have a 16-year-old at home in high school. We moved to Vermont in the middle of the pandemic. He uh, never had been in a normal um, high school environment as a new kid, which is pretty tragic. And I just, I got to watch it as a parent of my college and high school age um, children. And that was very stunning to me to actually physically watch their mental health degradation in that isolation um, circumstance in that environment. But then at the Air Force Academy, and I've been a faculty member at, uh, at other schools, too, of course, my, my professional career was both military service and full-time academic postings at various uh, universities, R1, large publics, and also some smaller schools. So just understanding the student experience, seeing where things had gone wrong, but also thing, seeing where things had gone right, trying to find uh, good, positive examples and being very wary of the negative examples to see how far they could go either way. You, you basically decided that 
um, you needed to see this for yourself effectively um, as a as the college president. So you, you moved into one of these dorms? When I had come out and done the campus visit, when I was a finalist for the job, we had a town hall where they asked me about leadership style. What would you do when you got here? I said, well, you know, given my experience and my background, I'm actually going to live in the barracks and the dormitories with you all part of the year just so I can get to make sure you're comfortable, you have what you need. You know, the heat works, the, you know, the bathrooms are satisfactory, the food is good. So I had, I'd said that well before there was concern over a pandemic. And then in the midst of this environment, it was like, you know, I, I talked about it before. There's and, and the question, the pressure was, sir, please don't move into the dorm now from some of the staff and the community saying, you know, it's too disruptive. And I said, you know what? This is probably the perfect time to do this. And I tried to do it very quietly. I didn't want to be performative. And I always joke. It reminds me of those, uh, the Facebook videos where a person is feeding a homeless person, but they videotape themselves doing it. You know, if you put down your camera phone and actually use both hands, you could feed more homeless people or give them more food. So stop making it performative and make it more meaningful. So I wanted to sneak in and not make it a big deal, but it lasted like maybe two minutes before the word was out that I moved into the dorm. And then the curiosity was where and is he have a roommate and then the rumors were crazy. And then it kind of took off from there. It was a wonderful experience. So you decide to move in, you're, you move into a single and you're living, you know, day and night with the students and, and doing exactly what they're doing. Or as far as, as far as you're, you're, I guess you're doing your president work and they're doing their studies online. Yeah, I, but I quarantined and I and I stuck myself in the most stringent category of quarantine where I just stayed in my room. I only left my room to use the restroom. Um, but I did ask for a single because it would have been extra awkward for the poor uh, young person who had to live with me, right? So I went to a single, but I also didn't want to displace anyone because then it's, you know, that's not a very nice thing to do. So I'm going to show up and take a single. Somebody else had a single. They're going to make the move. That's not good. So I got the only single we had left on the entire campus. <laughs> And uh, it took me about 10 seconds to realize why it, was, it shared a wall of cinder block with the, with the bathroom. And it was, it was nothing left to the imagination from the noise. So it, it, was a, it was a joke. I think they had their fun with it, but it wound up being even more valuable because I didn't displace anyone. I had a room that was not the most pleasant for uh, some of the auditory um, uh, features. As I mentioned, Anarumo shot some videos um, with his cell phone of his experiences, and he shared them online. And those included some pretty mundane details. Yeah, just a quick report on the food. Just want to show everybody. I mean, I'm, I'm getting what everyone else is getting. I'm sampling and uh, making sure it looks good. And, um, and then I give it to some students here on the floor because I'm trying to eat less these days. But um, I got a hot meal last night that was not piping hot, but it certainly wasn't cold. And it was very good quality. So the report on the food is very positive uh, from here at Wilson. He stressed that he followed the rules of quarantine, just like the students had to. I really locked myself in pretty hard. You know, I didn't, I didn't leave the room. I put a sign on the door. It said, here's my personal cell phone number. Please call me if you need to get me, which led to some funny events. Because, of course, they took a picture of it and it went viral. And I was getting weird, strange phone calls 24-7. But it let me connect very beautifully with some members of the community that, first of all, didn't believe it was true. And then, I, then of course, the phone calls became FaceTimes and I would have strange um, interactions that were... Uh, very meaningful in the end, though. It was very nice. So I put the sign up. I stayed in quarantine. I just left to use the restroom. But then some people, before they realized I was there, would come out of the shower with a towel. I'd be brushing my teeth. And that was a that was a fun, awkward exchange to get to know my suite mates there or my floor mates there uh, uh, in the early stages. What surprised you most, right? Because you are learning as you're there. You're, you're going to, you know, there's probably things you observed and felt that you wouldn't have known had you not gone full living there. What are some of those, what is some of that learning you had? 
Yeah, I'll give you the the funny one first, and I'll get to the serious part, which is actually gets me a little emotional. But the the funny one was I, I didn't understand that these young men and women they cannot physically go into a shower without a giant Bluetooth speaker, and they go at you know different stalls, two going at the same time. It's perpetually extraordinarily loud. So waterproof Bluetooth speakers are a thing now that I, I didn't realize were. So that was uh, that was interesting for me to experience. The most meaningful thing, the the thing that really, I think, changed me in a way that then I could share it with the faculty and staff. Because part of this, too, is we all have our different circumstances. I'm very fortunate. I have a 16-year-old at home, but I have family here that that, um, that can look after him just fine. But I was able to do this, and I could share with the faculty and staff then. You know, this is the meaningful exchange I had, where there literally would be somebody. I'd come out of my room. I'd look, and there's a stairwell. I'm on the top, right? So there's a stairwell at the landing, and there'd be a, I see a pair of eyes looking up at me through a mask. I'd have my mask on and usually uh, close to walk to a, take, brush my teeth or take a shower. And, um, you know, and I, they're hovering. And I would say, uh, are you okay? Um, are you looking for somebody? Or, or are you looking for me? Um, yes, sir. I was hoping I could talk to you for a second. I said, I'm happy to talk. Do you want to, you want to stay there? You want to walk outside? And, and we moved to a different location. And because of the mask and the hat, I would see immediately just the tears just pouring and I'd ask, you know, is everything all right? And I, and I get worried something could happen. And I say, sir, we just, it's so important that I'm, this is the young man um, talking to me. I, I don't, I want to make sure you understand it's so important that I be here. I, I don't want to go home. I can't go home. This is the, this, you know, either this is my senior year. This is the end of my freshman year. This is the most meaningful place to be. This is the only place I feel healthy, even in quarantine. I appreciate you fighting for us. I know it's hard. Please don't give up. Um, we appreciate it. The ones that are staying really need to be here, and we appreciate it, but please don't give up on us. We really need to be here. And I'm crying. He's crying, right? And it, But it was one event early, but then there were three, four, or five, like very similar exchanges. And then people, and, I, and then it got, shoot, I don't want to get in any trouble because I'm, now I'm in the bathroom, and all of a sudden people knew the bathroom because I was, you know, you have to go to the most expeditious route possible to the next bathroom, so I would go obviously next door. And there'd be too many in there waiting just to reward right? One just wants to talk about music, you know, and I impressed him because I knew much more about Pink Floyd. He thought he was an expert on Pink Floyd. And I, I told him savant level expertise, right? Or there's somebody else wanted to share a family story, somebody else, but they wanted to have that connection. And in the end, they just wanted to make sure that I, as the president knew how critically important it was to them that they get to stay. It seems like with some of the programs you have there, with some of the ROTC programs, and of course, people wanting when the quarantine was over, they'd be able to go back in class was the idea, I'm sure. What What is it? Can you describe a little bit about why in the culture there at Norwich, it's it might be specifically important to some of these um, students and, and folks uh, to, to really want the in-person? Sure. It's a great question. It also wound up being our greatest enemy um, in the moment because people wouldn't leave even though they felt a, a degradation of their personal mental health because they didn't want to lose um, the personal bond that they create. So through the experiential learning and the augmentation of classroom instruction, and of course we have wonderful world-class faculty, so they're, they're wonderful in the classroom. They had to adapt to go online if, uh, if their personal circumstance dictated so. But there is the activities, right? We have a mountain cold weather uh, club that's tied to ROTC about move, you know, how to navigate in the snow and how to, how to do rope work and, and rappelling and climbing, ice climbing, uh, really remarkable things. Um, 
we have a cavalry club. They learn how to be around the, the horses, obviously, how to groom them, how to care for them, and how to ride them in ceremonial fashion and, and other ways, too. We have our athletics um, competition. We have a Division three, obviously. But, you know, it's not about the sport. We leverage the sport to teach leadership, followership, character development, you know, winning with class, losing with dignity, all those important things that sports brings. Uh, so there's all those wonderful things, but really um, – we, we have the freshman year on the military. So we have two lifestyles, military and civilian. And about 70% are military, 30% are civilian. But even the civilians do things together that develops very close personal bonds. And this generation of learners, this Gen Z that's now moving in and supplanting millennials, they're all about small group loyalty, small group dynamics. So their great experience is a small group that they feel very close with. And they call each other for their lifetime. I had... I met somebody recently graduating in the 60s. They still talk to their freshman year brother or sister um, uh, weekly, and that's their true lifelong bond. So they have that bond they want to perpetuate. They don't want to lose it. It's very magical for them. But as we're trying to incentivize and encourage departures, all of them feared losing that. So I realized the real message for a departure to maintain high levels of personal mental health and making family decisions was destigmatizing the departure. So the reason they want to stay is to maintain the small group loyalty. The reason they wouldn't leave, even when they knew they should, is because they didn't want to lose that small group dynamic. So it was a very, it was a beautiful thing for me to see as a new president in such an intimate way. Is there anything you learned that led you to make any change in how anything went because of, you know, whether it's food or some other logistics that you were like, oh, I see this could be better. And by living it, I suggest this. Anything like that? Yes. Um, and this is where we were somewhat at odds with some medical professionals. And, you know, uh, we do have uh, daily wrap-ups, 4 o'clock every day, where we hear from the student affairs about the state of delivery of campus programming. And then we hear from the nurse about testing. But then we also hear from the mental health, our, our counseling wellness center director. And then from there, we make pragmatic decisions moving forward. And I brought back my experience and we talked through it. And the medical communities really prioritize no cases, no spread, which is, of course, a, a wonderful goal during a pandemic. And that should be our primary. But it has to be balanced against mental health. So through the experience and through talking to everyone and my interactions in the stairwells and then just popping around campus as we started to loosen things off, you, know, you loosen things up and then um, offer more experiences. And, and dining became critical, you know, eating to go constantly. We, we started delivering things in person. So I told everyone, you know, first of all, the, the two things I asked them to hear me very clearly as we got through this, when we finally started getting cases down, the first was we must never put them in in-room in quarantine again. That is not sustainable for individual mental health. So if we have a spike in case numbers, we have met all the standards, we've exceeded all the standards for having specialized controlled space for isolation and then also for quarantine for those that are exposed um, to any positive cases. So we have, we've robusted that so we can handle it responsibly. But the hit to mental health from doing in-room quarantine was so substantial that I told them we will never do it again. And we would have to go to online only before we did that. That's the first thing. And the second thing, I said, hear this from me as the president. It is better for us in my leadership direction called the commander's intent in parlance. Um, we will have 1,500 positive COVID cases before we will have one suicide on this campus. So our decision making will be um, informed by that position. What do you think is so hard? And I know this is risks being overly personal, perhaps, but it's like, what do you think is so hard about that isolation? Is it just it, it sounds like very much a solitary confinement you were you and the other students were under there for for however many days 
I'm older, obviously. I, I am, you know, I'm, I'm at a point in life where I can be alone. And frankly, I, I work pretty much 20 hours a day right now anyway, since the pandemic was seven days a week, right? No, none of us, not many senior college administrators or faculty or staff have had much time off. So I can fill every second of every day quite effectively, right? But the students can only do their classwork for so long, right? They don't play a video game for so long. They can only talk to their roommate for so long. And after that, I mean, they, they thrive in that age cohort, typically, um, in social interaction. And my kids are very different, my personal children, right? My boys are both introverted. My daughter is extremely extroverted. My college daughter, she would do terribly in isolation. And she went to have an apartment at a very large public school, 63,000 students, um, and even her apartment cohort, I saw a change in their personalities because I know some of those girls for 15, 20 years. So it's... Um, Just starved for what they needed emotionally. Is that the idea? Yes, the connection. They crave it. They need it. They must have it. It's not a, it's not a nice to have. It's a must have. And there's a term in the military called going inside. Um, it's if you're on a patrol, you're sleep deprived, you're living in the field conditions eventually you start wearing down and you just start to get inside your own head and you start questioning your life decisions. You start questioning everything about your daily routine and you drive a low-level mental health. It's, it's actually called going inside. So you have to keep them outside, right? So we offer some unique programming. We did some virtual things. They were great. And we did some yoga, some mindfulness. We had some uh, nutrition workshops, uh, puzzles. They had chess clubs. All these things are, are good and they are very strong in a digital environment, this generation, much more so than my generation. Um, but they still need the personal interaction, right? That has to be balanced against the other things. It turns out that Anna Rumo's time in the dorm also helped him better communicate with parents about some other issues that had nothing to do with campus mental health. For instance, all that detail he gave in the video about the quality of the food, well, that was partly a response to some concerns by parents. We were taking a lot of heat and a lot of pressure for food. And our, our food contractor does a very, very good job. Um, but even they were restricted. How do you prepare the food? How can you deliver it? You can't have people eating in the in the chow hall. So you have to figure out ways you can deliver the food more effectively, right? So the the complaint was the quality of the food somehow. It was it was quantity. It was quality. But then you know, like there's a bruised apple. Now what do you do if you get a bruised apple? You swap it out for an unbruised apple. But because emotions were so high, the bruised apple like wound up with its own Facebook page, right? And everyone's yelling about the bruised apple. But then if you understand human emotion and psyche, especially in crisis, it's really not about the food. It's about the emotion tied to are their kids safe, right? So talking to parents, engaging them more thoughtfully, um, really showing them I'm willing to live here with your sons and daughters because I want you to know that we care for them at this level, right? I, I love them as I do my own kids. I'm responsible for them at that personal level, mom and dad, and you can trust us, right? That really did a great deal uh, just showing that that empathy, right? Because it, it, when you call and someone's yelling at you, your, your your reaction is to yell back or to be defensive. But when when they're angry over over a sandwich, it's almost never the sandwich. It's it's the much larger context of is my child safe there? You know, are they getting enough food? Or if they're not getting enough food, does that mean you're also not doing these other things for them? So understanding um, and being very empathetic and then responding to what I understand the larger concern to be, I think really generated that level of trust, right? Not just with the students, but also their families. And that's important. We want them to trust us with their sons and daughters. Um, and, and then there's the concern over, well, you're, you're forcing them to stay because you want our money. All right, well, 
no, I, you know, it, it, that's, not the, that's not the case. And then we started to incentivize departures and did a prorated room and board refund if they chose to leave at any point during the semester. And just we were very demonstrative to say, you know, we're not holding them hostage here in an unsafe environment because we want the room and board. They're asking to stay. And if you don't think it's right for you and your family, we will take, you know, we're operating at a loss right now. Like most institutions of higher education, it's a terrible time in higher ed. I'd rather operate at a loss and have the family feel supported and valued than the other way around. These days, COVID cases have dropped. The outbreak's under control. And now students can move about the campus again. Even so, Anarumo plans to move back into a dorm for another short stay. He wants to make sure he gets a sense of all the different parts of campus. And some students were actually apparently saying, hey, you moved into that part of campus, why don't you try mine? Maybe this time, he'll get a less noisy room. Or maybe he'll bring his own Bluetooth speaker to the shower. This has been the EdSearch Podcast. Do you know a good story about college or K-12 education that we should share? Shoot me an email at jeff at edsurge.com or try me on Twitter at jryoung. If you like the show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or click the button wherever you listen to, to keep up with our feed. And if you like the show, please take a minute to leave a rating or review. Or tell a friend on social media. We are getting new ratings these days at a pretty high rate, so I really appreciate people taking the time to do that. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more about how education is changing. Thanks for listening.